Check. Uh, Mike, check. Check, Mike, check, 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 Mike, check, I suppose right. I can Hold go on. like this. Guys, games and beer, and we're still at GameholeCon 2024, 2022. <laughs> That's a way to start things out, huh? <laughs> Good thing we edit. No, we don't edit. So, but I am with. Hello, my name is Michael Word, also known as the History Prof. I am a history professor. That's my name, and I'm also tonight with Guys, Games and Beer, and I will pass this off to. Hi, I am Christopher Rick. I'm with Guys, Games, and Beer and Midwest Gaming Classic and a whole bunch of other stuff that we're not going to get into because we're super interested in our guest today, which is none other than... Hi, I'm Zeb Cook and I'm here with Guys, Games, and Beer. Oh. And hey, yeah, we, they've got questions. I have no idea what they're going to ask. I have question number one. Can I do question number one? Sure. <sighs> oh, breathe deep, breathe deep. I have goosebumps right now. You don't even know. Did you ever think there would be 40 million people playing Dungeons and Dragons at the same time in the world? Not a damn chance. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. Okay. Okay, so to back up slightly, uh, because there there may be because there may be uh, there may be people uh, that are uh, much younger than us out there, and uh, so. Tell us what you've done. Oh, <laughs> start from uh, the well, I, most of what I did, I did a long time ago. I uh, worked at TSR for 15 years, uh, started in 79, uh, designed the expert set, the, uh, wrote the AD&D second edition, Oriental Adventures. I've had to answer this question a couple of times here because people look at me like, you have a badge and what did you do? <laughs> Your <laughs> um, name is what? And uh, designed the Planescape setting, uh, wrote the Conan role-playing game, wrote the Indiana Jones role-playing game. That was interesting. Um, and yeah, a bunch of other stuff that I can't even remember. <laughs> All right, so uh, basically, uh, can we say like a godfather of D&D? Um, something like that. I don't All know right. about that. Step, right. Stepfather of my childhood. I was just saying, your childhood too. My childhood too. <laughs> I played second absolutely. edition when, absolutely. I was, when I was a young man. So, yes. I, think I'm, I'm, I, I, had, think I'm, the, I had the order to audition, yes. I'm going to jump in with the nerdy question. As a history Ooh. professor, someone who publishes and researches on, on Japanese and East Asian history in particular, I remember when I was a young lad playing Oriental Adventures, and in those days there wasn't a lot in English that was public-facing that was about Asia in general. So I'd like to little, know a little bit about you know, how that research process worked for you, and uh, especially well, in the days before the Internet, when there wasn't a lot in English on, on Asian history. Yeah, there, was, there, there wasn't a lot, and, and, and a lot of it was, that was, was very, very scholarly um, kind of stuff. Um, plus you know, a lot of bad or bad and good Japanese movies mostly. There really wasn't a lot of stuff that was Chinese. Uh, there was a lot of Chinese fantasy stuff. And one of the things we had at, uh, that I actually did at our house was Bad Movie Night. And we had, uh, we had some very good uh, uh, people at finding really kind of obscure and odd <laughs> movies. Uh, and so that included a lot of the you know, Chinese hopping vampire stuff and uh, these yeah, sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, I love Japanese um, and Asian uh, stuff in general, and so yeah, a lot of what's reached I've read. I read like you know books on the you know, you know social structures of the Sung Dynasty. I mean, my God, it was the most boring stuff to read for me. <laughs> Super fascinating, but, Michael over there. I'm but sure. Was, but at the same time, it was kind of interesting. Or or what were the what were the things that were shipped by caravans from Samarkand or these sorts right, of things? Right, and right. then a lot of. Uh, um, you know, a lot of Japanese books and the same sort of stuff. It was really hard to, you know, it was the stuff that was really hard to find was reliable folklore information. Right. And it was especially hard for, for Chinese as opposed to Japanese. It right. was more Japanese stuff. And then you read, like, you know, you read uh, authors from, you know, time period and this sort of thing. And, and uh, yeah. 
Penguin Books was our friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at that time, there probably wasn't a lot on South Asia or Southeast Asia either. Not English, very, very right? little on yeah. Southeast Asia. Right, that was right. probably the single hardest area to get information on. Right, right, yeah. No, it certainly reflects. I mean, you, you guys did a great job on that, reflecting on what was available at the time, I thought, was, was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, so, so uh, like, what was... You know, you're, you're writing for and creating a world in fantasy, but it sounds like you did a lot of research on, like, what was actual. So what, what was the balance there of, oh, well, this is fantasy, so it doesn't really matter, and, you know, it's our world. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, certainly, certainly the biggest balance was, is this fun? You know, would this yeah. be fun? Uh, and so you throw out a lot of stuff that's like, okay, that's just... That's just a pain in the ass, and we're not going to worry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I mean, and, and frankly, I like the history probably a little too much, and so a little too much history gets, gets in there as opposed to <laughs> I should have just, like, maybe been, yeah, let's just be more fantasy about it. Um, but, you know, that, that, was, that was always kind of my, my, uh, my downfall in some ways. Right. But it was fun to do. It made it fun to do. To, to walk it back a step... What were you doing before TSR? How did? What's that first step that you make? Uh, you know, before your role-playing game designer days to this moment. I was uh, I was an English teacher for two years. <laughs> this was high school English. That was about English? as long as I was able to last than that. Oh uh, yeah, high school English. <laughs> uh, I was the entire high school English department. Wow. <laughs> uh, where was this again? What state? Uh, this was in Nebraska. It was in a very very small town. Wow. Um, so you know. Kind of how those things work. And what what was that connection? How do you go? How does one go from being a, you know, small town Nebraskan English teacher to now you're? Well, I, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons all through college. You know, when it first came out, this sort of stuff, uh, and played war games and stuff before that. I was always, always big into games, uh, and so when we're living in Nebraska in this a town of 300 people. You know, you, the only thing you've got to entertain yourself is to kind of do the, the one-on-one and solo kind of right, gaming. Right, 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 right. Um, and so in doing that, at, you know, Dragon Magazine came out with an ad that, you know, the listing that they were looking for uh, potential designers. Mm. And uh, basically I got encouraged by my wife to uh, go ahead and give it a try. And uh, to my amazement, they, they said yes. Ooh, that's a great segue into the question I have, which is, what did you submit? Uh, well, <laughs> and can we still find would you, it? Would is you it, submit it, it now? Yeah, actually, you can find you can find part of what I submitted. That's for sure. Um, a lot of it was they sent a uh, batch of questions that they wanted you to give answers to, and well, I think you know, they they didn't know what they were looking. You know, they'd never mm -hmm. hired designers really right, either, right. and so the questions were like, you know, you know, you know. Identify these obscure pole arms and, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff. But most important as, as part of that was um, the, uh, you know, send a writing sample. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, wrote something up. It was, you know, if I looked at it, if I looked at it today, I'd be appalled, I'm sure. Uh, and it was pitifully short. Uh, but it was enough to get me accepted. And that writing sample basically expressed got expanded at, uh, into a, a full module, which was the uh, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Okay, yeah, um, right, right. You yeah. know, it's like, take that, and because uh, I had a little dungeon in that I had sent in, and then and turn it into a whole setting thing. Did you have a favorite module that you were like, oh, this one, oh, man, I can't believe it wrote that. It was so good. Oh, wow. That's, uh, the, the modules are tough, because a lot of them are written, you know, you, you wrote them very quickly, um, and... Uh, you know, I, there, I did. I did a number that were really bad ideas that were fun in a way. Um, I think you know certainly uh, Dwellers Forbidden City and um, the uh, A series, the first of the A series, uh, okay, Slave yeah, Pits. Right, right. You know, because frankly, the reason that those I really liked is because that's where we were really kind of first learning how to do stuff, um, and then later on, you know, modules became more like, okay, yeah, we know how to do this, and so it was less of that adventure of discovery. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah. And so, what, about what age are we talking about when you send in, when you make that move, send in the uh, sample? I think I was about 24 or so wow. at that point. Wow, wow, wow. 
I have a like a layout from then of like this is how uh, a module is laid out at TSR, and it was like everything is 16 pages. How do you cram like images and maps and all the text that I have problems doing it? And then sometimes I'm like, oh, I only need eight. But for the good ones, they're never just eight pages. How do you how do you fit that all into 16 pages? Well, the 16 page formula was because that's the way the printing presses were. Right. They would, they would, you know, well aware. Would be 16 pages. So, you know, everything was in some multiple of 16. Um, and generally, you know, we knew roughly how many words that would be. Uh, uh, and then art-wise, you had a budget that they said you could have. You could have X amount of uh, art pieces. You know, you get two half pagers. Mm -hmm. You get a couple of quarter pagers and, you know, this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, you just kind of wrote to fit. Um, and sometimes, actually, sometimes the difficulty was trying to write enough uh, to, <laughs> fill, to fill the whole 1632 or, or 64 pages of, the, of material uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it was work. So, did, did you, on a module you were working on, did, did you decide what element is to be the illustrations? Like, maybe you didn't do the illustration, I'm saying, but, no, you know, no I want the God, no. <laughs> lizard man in, the, in this uh, um, illustrated. Yeah, what know. we would do is we would, we would put together, you know, um, what was called an art order, where we would, we would kind of call out, you know, like, no, we want an, I want an illustration roughly around here, and the, you, the writer and the editor, designer and the editor would kind of work on an art order where you would write, write a description of, you know, kind of what the picture was supposed to be, um, and these were often the uh, the bane of the of the uh, artist's existence because um, it was it's really easy to write a bad art order. <laughs> it's like I want 87 guys in this picture doing all that, and they'll be like, Oh God, no! I'm going to give you one. And then, <laughs> uh, so you ha you kind of had to learn the art of writing just enough. So they had an idea of what it is you were looking for, but not so much that you were trying to tell them what to what to draw uh, exactly. Because you know, if you told them what to draw exactly, they either did that and it looked horrible, uh, <laughs> and it was your fault basically, or they just ignored it and did whatever they wanted. <laughs> and so the Planescape setting, yes. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes. Planescape. That uh, is one of my favorites by far. And when you were when you were working on that, did you did you have a sense of wow, this is really we're doing something drastically different, or was this just oh, this is just yet another setting we're working on? Or no, we were we were trying to do something that we felt was like not like what mm. what we had done before. That was part of it. We had we had some instructions from our creative uh, uh, the head of our creative uh, department, Jim Ward. And, you know, we wanted something that had kind of that strong faction identity kind of thing. We wanted, and, uh, you know, it's the planes. That, you know, that for me, that meant it's got to be weird and stuff. And then I basically just kind of went a bit mad. And, and uh, you know, I, got, I decided, you know, I did things like pick out typefaces and say, well, we should use this typeface and this sort of stuff. And the graphic designers were very happy because they got to actually do real graphic designing as opposed to just like, here's another straight layout uh, kind of a thing. Um, and so, yeah, it was a lot of people getting to kind of really flex uh, and uh, you know, made, made a difference. Yeah, I mean, it's such a visually striking product, right? Not just the content, but the artwork and the text and how it sits together. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. It and, is. The, and the and content, it, because uh, I just used it, whoa, I don't know, three weeks ago in a Twitch stream, where I was like, hold on, let me lean over, manual the planes, no, planescape, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I still, to this day, I just, I hand wave the stats, but I use the stuff, the content in it. Yeah, I think it was more about ideas and stuff than actual, like this is a completely playable world. But, right, right. But it, was, uh, but it was a lot of fun to put together. And part of, part of it, when you're saying the visually, part of it was because uh, early in the, when we were just getting started in the process, Dana Knutson, Mm -hmm. um, was assigned for like a month to basically do nothing but sketch up things, wow. get work out. So we worked, huh. you know, we worked out the architecture, 
whole lot of the faction symbols, and then he came up with this symbol that was like, oh, that's too good, we got to use that for something, and that became the Lady of Pain, right, because right, we really right. it didn't really have yeah. that character right. until that image showed up, um, and it was like, yeah, we got to do something with that. <laughs> that's a, that brings like a great inspiration question, like, is it often that that happens where you somebody sketches something you're like whoa we have to use that and that's the idea or is it most like mostly like i have this idea and then it gets sketched out or something in, in that most way. of the time it happens the second way because in most of the products the art the art doesn't really begin until after the writing is done or or mostly done um but with a couple of products they like like starting with with like dark sun Mm -hmm. They said, okay, let's, we're going to assign an artist to this and really work out kind of the visual uh, and at the same time as they were putting together, working out the design. And so then the two started to feed on each other mm -hmm. and then we got to do that with Planescape and I think they may have done that with some other ones since that point mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So if you do much writing uh, today, have you put put anything out? Well, I, I, am, I am gleefully retired at the moment. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I mean, it's still I'm, it's gleeful because it's still a new experience for me. And nice. so I'm, at this point, I'm trying to keep my workload light. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little gardening in between oh, yeah, people coming in saying, we you need know, you to little write carpentry, this. Uh, yeah. But do you get a lot of requests nonetheless? Like, could you write this little I, thing? There are, I have some things that I, am, yeah. I have been doing or, you know, and... Uh, I suspect as as this whole retirement thing goes on, I will get bored, and uh, and you know, kind of get back into more doing more writing. Right, 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 right. Can we talk about the character design for the races in Star Frontiers? Like it was, <laughs> I was just saying earlier, like it was the first time that in a game, like you had an alien that was in three dimensions stable, because everything is humanoid, and humanoid is generally not. You know, you can shove a humanoid over pretty easily. Well, I don't, I, we, we never we never addressed the, wow, we want to make guys that are, you know, physically stable. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things we did want to do, Lawrence and I wanted to do when we were doing the, the Star Frontier stuff, was we wanted aliens that felt alien, they, that they weren't just guys in, in, in suits kind of a thing. And so, yeah, we... we, we and we indulged in, in some, like, let's do some cheerfully bizarre things um, and stuff. And then tried to kind of round out, round them out a little bit more so they were more than just like, you know, oh, it's, you know, you know elves in space or anything right, like right, that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we, we wound up with some entertaining guys. I just recently got the box set of miniatures from Star Frontiers. Oh, and yeah. like. I was ecstatic. Like they showed up, and they were horribly painted. I'm like, I don't care. They're beautiful. They're so beautiful because they were like the first truly alien, like you said, the truly alien races uh, to to play in a game at that time. So, and, how are you enjoying this con? Absolutely, I always enjoy game hall. I like I like coming here. Alex runs uh, and his team run a great con, and and uh, the best. yeah. Yeah, yes. we, we do a lot of cons. It's very yeah. game-centric. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Are there any other cons that you frequent consistently? Um, I go to, uh, try to go to Gary Con. It's been the last couple of years. It's been a bit bumpy uh, for all cons, obviously. That's right, yeah. um, and the other one I usually all go to is uh, um, NTRPG, the North Texas okay, yeah. uh, RPG Con. I often because these are all very kind of like, you know, you know, North Texas is very laid back and it's kind of small and that's really nice. Um, GaryCon is full of lots of people I know and old friends and it's a great chance to get together. And that's a little bit same here. There's a lot of people I know and you know, it's, you know places I used to live. <laughs> nice thing. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, don't, don't dead air. Keep going, keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything as you look at gaming as it has changed over the decades, uh, something that you look at role-playing games now and think, oh, that would have been nice to have back then, or, you know, this is, this is uh, a trend that I really appreciate now that we didn't well, have the, the, back Well, the then. trend that I appreciate now is more the trend to kind of going back to the style of gaming that I was more uh, in line with in uh, second edition, which is, looser a bit looser on the rules right. a little bit more about hey it's the story it's the um and that sort of stuff um during three five and stuff 
there were too many rules mechanics for Absolutely, me. Right. Uh, it was just too much for for what I wanted to do. So I actually wound up playing lots of like simpler role playing games, simply because I could focus more on the improvisation and all that sort of stuff. And if somebody said, "Oh, you can't do that because this was in the book," you'd say, "No, it's not because there's no rule for it." <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and it was that that period of time, the collector card game. Yeah, uh, which was not a replacement for table topping, uh, you know, and uh, and it's good to see that kind of back. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's enough space for all of these games, and you know, it's enough space for you. Everybody can, you know, you don't have to enjoy just one type as a thing, and so. You know, people are like, oh, God, I never play those things because, you know, they're missing out on some, some sometimes they're missing out on right. opportunities. Right. Uh, you know, I play miniatures war games, I play historical war games, I play role-playing games, I play board games. Um, I'm not real good on sports games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. If, if you just rolled dice in the sports games, we'd all be great or terrible. <laughs> it depends on the dice. <laughs> Yeah, so that leads to another excellent point, which is in your own free time now uh, that you might have a little bit more of since you're you're, you're semi-retired, we can say, yeah. or retired, yeah. Um, do you still get a lot of time to play games, or what kind of games do you play? Um, I play a lot of miniatures games right at the moment. Um, I did have, before I could be uh, uh, a really active group that would meet a couple of times a month, and that was good. Um, and I also play, you know, pulp games. I don't really, at this point, don't play a lot of role-playing games because of the difficulty of just getting a group together and kind of keeping it together. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and so, you know, plus, you know, after a long time, I kind of got a little burned out on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm getting, I'm getting better, and I'm getting back to them. You mentioned board games. you got a favorite board game? Um, lately, what do I playing for a favorite board game? Um, Great Fire of London, which is a game very few people have heard about, but it's but it's actually a really well put together little game, um, and it's not it's not new or anything. I'm not a real big fan of the board games that have 10 billion pieces and you know, 18 you know 18 different uh, you know placemat things and all that sort of stuff. I like a, I like them a little bit simpler and more straightforward. So that's what I said. There are a couple of out there that I've been looking at, like oh yeah, I think I want to look and you know check that out. But, you know, it's fairly simple. Right, right, right. Now, for in some of your TSR products, was there, you know, not everything makes it into the thing. All the things that you write, they don't all make it into the final product. Is there something that you can remember that you, you really loved and it didn't make it in? Maybe something that the audience doesn't know about, a, a race, a character, a, a faction, a theme, a place uh, um, that got cut and you really wish it didn't get cut? Wow, that's a, that's not a question anybody's really ever asked me, and so it's I don't have a I don't have a quick answer for it. One of the things is because we were writing so much, uh, you tended not to waste too much. Mm. You know, it was like, all right, I got to get this. I got to you know, I got to write 128 pages, um, and so just getting it all filled was a challenge. So you tended not to throw out things too much. Um, you know, it was it was more you either self-edited and said, yeah, I'm just never going to get to that, so we'll just we'll, you know, move. We won't even bother to include that. Um, or or it was like, oh, my God, I still have, I have to figure out, like, how to fill five more pages in this book. <laughs> Where's the art department? Yeah, yeah. They hated, they, they hated me on that. You know, it's like, no, we are, we're already, you know, it was work for them. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I, I have a hard time thinking of things that we, that we just kind of, like, cut because of space that was that was tended to be fairly rare mm -hmm. um, and it's also it's a pain in, it's a real pain because when I mean, you just start cutting things for space then you have to kind of go through and like make sure all the things that yeah, are the, left are still coherent right the continuity editing right yeah references the missing paragraph that's right that's right yeah, the ghost paragraph together and that sort of thing where did this come from right. <laughs> it says page 12 and there's nothing on page 12 about this right. well that happened with some of the first edition <laughs> ad&d books yeah, there would be references. Just table 37 yeah, right. there's no table 37 <laughs> that's right that's right that's right <laughs> that's the one you make up on the fly and that, that's how improv became <laughs> so central i think yeah, that's right 
So there was so there was no thread or no setting or no idea that you thought oh, I wish I could have explored that but didn't have the time or the space. Oh, we had place. lots of settings that we, right. we wanted. You know, the the bigger problem there was those would get filled. Those would would be like ah, oh, I'd really like to do this, and then they would just never happen because they just never made it onto the schedule. Right, you right, know? right. Um, you know, never did a steampunk setting. We could never figure out how to do a steampunk setting that would really. Um, not be a, a real niche kind of part product. Interesting. Um, and that was a that was a problem. You know, there were a lot of there were a lot of cool 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 little weird settings like right. that that you really wanted to do. And you know, they said, yeah, we'll sell five of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, did you, so you know, it's obviously such a creative endeavor, but yet it's also a business. So I mean, it, it, I feel like sometimes the business got in the way of your creativity or. Uh, well, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, yes, but most of the time it was a matter of, you know, remembering that you had to, you had to be basically, you know, you were a business, you had to think about, like, is this something that's going to have enough appeal, and, or is it, you know, is it going to, can I find a way to make it reach, or is it, and that sort of stuff, um, and then the other part of it was, is that you want to design something that you really like, but you have to remember that you are not designing for yourself. Right. That you are designing for a a much broader span of people, um, and so you had to make sure that it, that it remains accessible, mm -hmm. and that it's not so esoteric. It's not that that you know only a few people will get it. And we didn't you know we didn't always get that right. I we uh, we did the uh, the uh, series Amazing Engine series, uh, which was mm -hmm. an idea to do basically kind of a a universal set of rules and then do lots of little setting books because we had all these little setting ideas. Oh, I see. Um, and so I did the rules for that and the, and the first couple of setting books. And they were a lot of fun, but they were, yeah, they're all they're all very, very, you know. You know. One was the uh, was tabloid where it's basically uh, you are a reporter for a tabloid uh, magazine and you know all those crazy reports you read about you know bigfoot and all that stuff they're actually real, they're real. so your adventures were to go out and you know get get this stuff it would probably sell like a hundred thousand copies now yeah. just not <laughs> then when there was not a hundred thousand people playing but yeah. now with such a huge audience yeah. I or bet, when x-files was popular that yeah, would have sold yeah. Wonderfully, right? but now yeah. you could probably be like oh we're gonna do a fifty thousand run and run outs so where did that particular idea come from within the company? Was that from the top, from the designers, um, from... I think it kind of came, it, it kind of came from the designers and uh, it, it, was, it was kind of like an in-between thing mm -hmm. that, you know, we could do this universal system and then, okay, that would be cool, that would let us do a lot of these kind of odd ideas. Um, and then, then it was the matter of coming up with a list of odd ideas for mm -hmm. it. And, or maybe not so odd, but things that we could do where we were not trying to like push an entire, um, you know, you know, line of 20 or 30 products all, all around one setting. Um, it was just like, yeah, we're going to do this, and if it ever, if it ever gets an extra module, that'll be an amazing thing. Right. 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 And, now you mentioned uh, earlier that a lot of creative people, their first projects are just, you know, are garbage when they look back upon them. But on, on a more positive note, uh, when you look back uh, on your on your career, is there is there one thing that you thought, well, you know, my ideas came together with a great team, and this was just a real, you know, we were in the zone kind of creative moment. Probably Planescape was yeah. was the the single biggest on that. Um, the other one is is uh, was AD and D because it wasn't very much a team effort, or, uh, and uh, you know we were we were messing around with with the big with the big thing at that point and right. having to be very careful. All right. Uh Hey, you got anything else? Oh, no, I'm I'm just happy to be here with I'm Mr. Just, I've been fanboying this side of the camera all frickin' night. <laughs> <laughs> this was like a big thing, like, for the last 12 hours. I was like, oh, my God, do you want me to yeah, sit we, we down do on this We do a little fanboying around here. Yeah, okay? yeah. All right, Larry, why don't you go ahead and take us all out of this? All right, well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Well, uh, 
Thank you. It's been fun. I didn't even get to all the weird stories. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, wait, Pause. Yeah. Before the credits roll, let's hear a weird story. Go ahead. One weird story. One weird story. Okay, so back one in the weird day. story. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just tease with the title of several and then give you one. There was a time the FBI showed up to investigate uh, possible assassination. Um, Top there secret, was uh, Errol Otis falling through the ceiling in my office. Uh -huh. <laughs> the old building, yeah. <laughs> what, a, a lot of these are famous. Is there one we haven't that people might not be familiar with? Uh, that, that becomes harder because the, the really good ones get, 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 get wide, widespread yeah. coverage. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right. We good? All right. All right yeah. let's take it out All one right. more time. I and uh, hopefully I'll say it right this time. Please. Uh, we're here, uh, here at GameHole Con 2022, and we'll be doing more interviews. Guys, games, and beer. Gotta wipe my nose. Hi, I'm Larry with Guys, Games, and Beer, and I'm with... I am Brian the Baron Koenig. And we are at Gamehole Con this afternoon with Tom Wom. So, so Tom, uh, you were telling us earlier a story about your time with TSR. Well, it kind of began when my dad taught me how to play Monopoly. I've been designing games ever since. And so I've been a game designer all my life. I wanted to design games, so I got a job at a game company out in Maine where we sold miniatures. It was called Guidon Games. Okay. They, they did Panzerfaust magazine. And, uh, but we sold a big box of paint to Gary Gygax in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And it was, the guy that shipped them to him uh, didn't do a very good job and they all arrived broken. And so he sent it back to us. So for years, I painted all my miniatures with rejected Gary Gygax paint. <laughs> But well, there you go. That is not really part of the issue. <laughs> but interesting that nonetheless. Led yeah. to my being interested in getting my games published because while I was there, I wrote a set of miniatures rules called uh, Ironclad for okay. fighting naval battles with Civil War ships on the sure. tabletop. And so that was my first published game. And then. I submitted games to game companies and got rejection letters. And I worked as a prison guard. And then uh, I, I went to SIU in Carbondale, Illinois. And there I was in a game club called the SIU Strategic Game Society. But Tim Kask was one of our members. And he went to Lake Geneva or somewhere and met Gary Gygax and came back with a copy of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And uh, everybody in our club started playing D&D. So everyone in our club had, an, you know, the Hobbit or the Weir Bear or I was Nudnik because that was the name of my character and I was a cleric. So, but that was just kind of strange. And then eventually I... Uh, I got divorced and I moved to Colorado. I got this letter in the mail from Tim Kask. He said, you know, we, we got this game company in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and we could use a guy like you, because I used to draw cartoons and things like that. So okay. I sent, sent them a, a cartoon resume, and Gary saw it and said hire him. So. That is a tremendous history. That is super interesting. That's Wolf the Trained Elephant. Okay, and that elephant first appeared in uh, one of my games called the Gangster Game. Okay, that's all right. another story. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I applied at TSR and I arrived there in, I guess it was 77. Was that the year Star Wars first came yes. out? Yes. Ah, yes. Because yeah, yeah. I went to the Geneva Theater once I was at, hired by TSR and saw Star Wars seven times in a row. Yeah. Uh, oh, as as one does. That makes yes. complete sense. <laughs> anyway, I was adopted by Brian Bloom, who was uh, kind of the co-owner of the company along with Gary. But it was a dream job working at TSR. 
because I was hired to run the Bowden Dungeon Hobby Shop for a little while. Then when, when Ernie Gygax took over the hobby shop, I was bumped upstairs to the art department. I worked with Dave Sutherland and Dave Trampier. If you know Dave Trampier, the guy who did Wormy. So, uh, and of course the board game Titan, which I love a lot. I don't know, I go on. Eventually though, so my friendship with Tim Cask led to my putting games in the Dragon magazine. That's kind of how I kind of became famous because my first game was Snits, then Snits Smashing, and then the awful green things from outer space, so that sort of thing. That, that is an impressive pedigree. That's very interesting. So uh, we're, we're here at GameholeCon, and you've been demoing some games. Uh, so tell me about the games you've been demoing. Well, but we're, we're just working on Tom Wom games because I have kind of given up trying to sell them to game companies because everybody's doing Kickstarters nowadays. Yeah. Nobody, yep. And when you do sell them to game companies, you have to take like 15 prototypes. They look at all of them. You never get any of the prototypes back, and they don't take any of them. So, but my last success was about oh, nine years ago. I took four games with me to Gen Con. Nice guy who runs Rio Grande Games, but I've forgotten his name. Gave one of them to uh, Zeb Schlesinger, who runs Z-Man Games. I don't know if okay. you've heard of that company. But anyway, they published one of my games called Feudality, but it was printed in Germany by uh, Lookout Games, the company that does uh, Agricola and all, all the Uwe Rosenberg games. So the pieces in Feudality are the same as in Caverna, which I think is kind of cool. So, uh, but so now, okay. my friend and I have started a company just producing very limited edition runs of games that haven't been published yet that I thought up through the years because my apartment is just nothing but walls of games that I've invented and never gotten published. <laughs> well, if someone wanted to get one of those games, where would they go? Well, we're on the internet. It's called Tom Games, I think, .com. I'm not sure. And it's pronounced Wom, but spelled W-A-W-H-A-M. Like yes. Wham. Like Wham, but not Wham. Wom like Bomb. Right. Yes. I'm sort of related to a bunch of Woms from Centralia, Illinois, so... Um... When you, uh, you said you've invented games all your life, um, that, I find that super interesting. Uh, where do you find inspiration to come up with a new game? I don't know. If I, if I like a game, I make a variation of it. Okay, all right. <laughs> Monopoly, of course. A lot of my first games were just different kinds of Monopoly. But when I was young, I had this big collection of little plastic dinosaurs, and I always wanted to make a game called Dinosaur Hunt, so I had this big board, and you move your pieces around the board, and we landed on a space with a dinosaur, you had to fight him, and, and then uh, you could, well, you captured the dinosaur, took it home with you, of course, I don't know how you did that. I <laughs> <laughs> worked for Fred Flintstone. And at the end, the person who had the best collection of dinosaurs was the winner, so. Oh, very good. So it's theme, kind of a variations on a theme, and I'm guessing ideas continue to kind of develop well, and spiral weird. from there? Sometimes things happen. I don't know how I got the idea for the awful green things from outer space. <laughs> it, I did watch the movie uh, Green Slime, but okay. I don't know if that's exactly what happened. We did have ants in our, our kitchen, but <laughs> that wasn't green things so much as snits, I think. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I, I played oh, I a, game a game you're called gonna... Snits. Snits, and yeah. Snits Revenge, and the Snits were all these little creatures that lived on this world. It was a parody of Dungeons and Dragons, all right? Okay. And so the gods invented this little silly game where the, the big creatures were Bolotomuses and the little guys were the Snits, and they lived in the sea. They'd run out, reproduce, run back to the sea, and there were always more of them after they'd reproduced. And then uh, the, the big guys started saying, we'll smash the little guys and count, keep score. And, <laughs> 
That's very terrible. good. But the next game was called Snit's Revenge because the Snits got pissed and invaded the Pilatus. They went inside his body and attacked each organ one by one until they found the spark of life and killed the Pilatus. And in a future game vengeance. that never got published, there was uh, the Zombolotomus, which had a snit in what would have been the Pilatus's brain. He has a kind of X for an eye instead of an eyeball with a dot. That's the zombolotomus. So if you ever see a wrinkly mulatomus walking around with X's for eyes, it's a, it's a zombolotomus. I think I saw one of those the other day. <laughs> so they, uh, so yesterday I had an opportunity to play one of your games. Uh, I actually very, I did enjoy it. I thought it had some interesting game mechanics and it was fun. But I'm a terrible person at pronouncing names, so it was the finance game. Oh, that Philistian finance game. Philistian finance. Yeah. <laughs> and what did I say that? a strange story. I worked okay. for quite a while at TSR, and at one point the RPGA, if you know what that is, the Role-Playing Game Association, they used to have a magazine called the Polyhedron, and I was always doing magazines for the Dragon magazine. No, games for the Dragon magazine. So I had this game, it was a little bit based on Avalon Hill Rail Baron, but okay. it was called Space Barons. And what you do is you have these spaceships and you carry cargoes from planet to planet or star system to star system. And it's about an hour long, not even that long, hour, 45 minute silly game with ridiculous cargoes that you're carrying from one place to another, you know, like a, a, a box full of obscenities or things like that and uh, but it was a fun game and later on I designed some other games using that star system and Felith was one of the star systems but it was one of the cargoes in that first game but now it's a economic game called Felithian Finance in which there's ten different corporations with ten shares of stock in each corporation you're manipulating stock and trying to make the prices of the stock go up and collect more than the other players and you don't know who's got what. It's just always a surprise at the end. So what are the pleasures of when you come out to a con? Sometimes you get to play with the developer. And uh, I found it interesting when you would tell us, tell the game group the, how the names had relations to actual things. <laughs> right. Well... The issue of the polyhedron that Space Barons was going to be published in, uh, I took all the cargoes in the game from that issue of the polyhedron. So there were references to some, a ball of lint from underneath Gene Raby's desk, if you know who Gene Raby is. She used to be head of the RPGA. She's a, she writes books now. So okay. Yeah, I mean that was that was really interesting. Do you, in your games, in your game designs, do you like to hide Easter egg ideas like that? Oh, sometimes. I just try to put silly, strange things in because I hate being serious. I mean, <laughs> every Tom Mom game is, you know, meant to be laughed at. There's nothing serious in them. Okay. So. If you had to choose uh, one game of all of uh, your favorite all-time game of all the ones you've invented. What would it be? Oh, and is it still available? <laughs> yes, because it's still in print. Oh, very good. It's the awful green things from outer space. Okay, there we go. And I first did it for the Dragon magazine, and then TSR produced, you know, several thousand copies and sold them. When TSR finally stopped selling the game, Steve Jackson contacted me and said, do I have the rights? And I said, yeah. So he published an edition, and then he published another edition, and then another edition. So ever since, like about, I think he took over in 1980, there's always been a copy, some version of Awful Green Things from Outer Space in print. And the sad part is it's a two-player game. so. Since about 1984, I've been working on a game sequel to The Awful Green Things. And we played it at GaryCon this year, so hopefully that'll be coming out in a bit. Multiplayer instead of just two-player. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that 
can definitely be a thing. No number of players in a game. Yeah. yeah. I prefer yeah. multiplayers. Three or four is really best for a game because it goes faster. And with two players, it's just kind of a duel. Right. Yeah. So many more facets. So many more opportunities for you backstabbing. Play one person against another. When you have at least, you know three or four people at yeah, the table. Well, I don't like Avalon Hill Diplomacy. If you know, if you've ever played that game. I have played diplomacy. It's it's all backstabbing. Yeah. You just but you have to lie and cheat <laughs> yeah. all the way and convince everybody <laughs> that you're not going to stab him in the back. <laughs> no, no, we're fine. Uh -oh. <laughs> Everything's fine. We're doing fine. How are you? <laughs> uh, any other things that uh, you would like to express to our our viewers? Or anything else you'd like to add that we haven't touched on yet? I don't know. Well, I still about? live in Lake Geneva. All right. after, after I left TSR, I got a job at the Lake Geneva Library and worked there. So. All right. But I stayed in Lake Geneva and gamed with all my friends. Still hang out with Ernie Gygax all the time. So. Well, you met like Gary Con then and hung out there. Oh yes. Well, Gary Con was the first Gary Con was Gary's funeral because at his funeral, there was nothing there but gamers. So we all were there with no games to play. So we played a bunch of games in his honor, and that was Gary Con 1. So, <laughs> and it's just grown ever since. It's been a wonderful thing. So one more time then, um, your website, where we can find you and your work. Well, just Tom Wom Games. I think that Google finds it. I did want to touch on oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, you both create the games and do the art. Right. Well, I did some art for the Monster Manual back when I worked with Trampier and Sutherland. Uh, it was sort of a competition to see who could get the most pictures into the, the first Monster Manual. And Dave Sutherland and Dave Trampier kind of took it really to heart and tried to outpace each other. <laughs> so they each contributed three-fourths of the book, and I contributed one-fourth, you know, so. So when it comes to what is... My only famous monster in that book is the Beholder. So oh. Tom, Tom Mom drew the Beholder. <laughs> that That's a big one. <laughs> so uh, in... Yeah, there's, there's one coming out from Wizards of the Coast in miniature in a, a big box of ten. You have to buy the whole box, and I'm okay. buying the whole box just to get my beholder. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in in creative efforts, do you prefer to do art or do like the design of games? Both, <laughs> but complete control. Well, I mean, there's... I mean, I draw silly cartoons and then work them into my game. So. Okay. Okay. You know, it's a... Well, because sometimes there are... and You may like to do something like I code computers, right? And there are certain elements I like to do. And there's others I just have to do. Because it won't work if I don't do the have-to-dos. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I... Sometimes people like to do art. Sometimes people don't. And you... Sounds like you fall in the middle. <laughs> I hope so. Well, I was pretty good at writing things in high school, and I didn't flunk English when I was in college. So, and I learned how to write game rules, and that's kind of like writing books. And actually, I have written several books. So, uh, I used to live with Rose Estes, who wrote the Pick Your Own Path books. Oh, and, the Choose Your Own Adventure style? Right. Yeah, okay. And then ah. later on, she started writing some of the Greyhawk adventures after uh, Gary got bumped from TSR. And, uh, but Rose was always involved with more than she could handle. And since I could write, she'd yeah. give me half of the book to write. And then she'd get the credit. I'd get the rent paid because she'd shared the money with me because yeah. we lived together, you know. So it worked out. <laughs> I actually did a couple of books on my own. I did uh, my favorite book that, well, I, it was a, a Choose Your Own Adventure that got published, and then uh, it was a, a bit of The Incomplete Enchanter by L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt, if you, if you know.
know who I'm talking about. I, I don't, but, you know, I'm terrible okay, at Okay, well, anyway, it's called, uh, well, I can't remember what, it, The Enchanter Reborn or something like that. It's a collection of stories of other people writing more of the incomplete Enchanter stories, and one of mine is in that, so. So, write books, write rules, draw, draw art. I was really bad at deadlines, which is why I never became a serious cartoonist like I should have. What's I'm, a deadline? I'm Jolly Blackburn, he gets an issue of his comic book out every month through Kenzer and Company. Oh. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, okay, I get what you're saying, yeah. Hey, by the way, is it... Uh, on on your website is that financial finance game on there? Because I think I'm going to pick up copies. Uh. No, we're, we're, we we did them through Game Crafters here in Madison. Oh, you sure, sure, sure. You know who they are? Yep. You pay them uh, enough money, and they'll produce a really nice-looking board game for you. Well, hey, I've I've only I have produced one game, <laughs> one game, and it was on Game Crafter. Yes. <laughs> Well, I kind of view them as a way to submit a good-looking prototype to a game company. But That's kind of what they originally thought, I think, was their role. But um, well, My buddy Dave Conant, who has worked, worked for years at TSR, yeah. and he, he would lay out games for them, rules and modules yeah. and all sorts of things. But Dave would always come to conventions with me and help me play my games and he'd run Wamathons with me, so, which is where people just come play anything I've got that they feel like playing. And that's kind of what we were doing here. So, uh, but, are so they, Dave decided oh, to make a company and yeah. that's how it happened. I didn't have much to do with it. So are they, the games The games are available on the website, but can you go to Game Crafter and like look, look you up? From Game Crafter? No, we don't sell them through Game Crafter. Oh, okay, we just, okay. We get them printed. Sometimes, sometimes the first one people ordered actually through Game Crafter. It's kind of like a Kickstarter, but yeah. not really. You you pay the price of the game, yeah. and you commit your money, and then when they print it, you get a copy. But the more people order it, the lower the price gets. All right. Well, so that's Tom. Wham Games. Tom Wam. Wam. I'm used to being Wham. 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 Yeah. When I joined the Navy, my, my first chief called me Whammy. So. <laughs> well, this has yeah, been an absolute pleasure. You can't hear a pleasure. word we're saying. He's looking to see if we're doing No, uh, Yeah, no, we're doing great. He, <laughs> yeah. But this has been an absolute pleasure. It's, uh, do you have anything else, Brian? I'm all set. All right. Well. I'm sure I didn't talk enough about some of the things I should have talked about. Oh, well. Oh. Dave Trampier married my sister, so I'm his brother-in-law, except he passed away. Oh, well. That cheery note. <laughs> we're we're going to wrap up this segment at GameholeCon, and uh, we will see you with more interviews. Thank you.